So last week uh, we started a new series in uh, values and practices and devoted worshippers and Dave's going to be taking us forward this morning. Good morning. Can I thank the family that bought me a joke book for Christmas? I was only a little bit offended. It was the pastor's joke book. So I feel I should start with a joke. It's not from the book. It's, uh, it's an old one. And it's the story of a young couple. Uh, a young couple invited the old pastor um, for lunch after a service. And uh, they were... Um, having a great time, enjoying the conversation. Um, and then at the end of the, end of the meal, the pastor left and the, they'd, they'd put on such a fancy spread and they tried to make it really nice for the pastor, but they suddenly realized that one of their spoons was missing. And so the, the wife turned to the, the husband and said, the pastor's stolen our spoon. It's like, and it's a silver spoon. We got out the nice stuff and he's stolen it. What do we do? I mean, you know, should we leave the church? You know, pe- people have left the church over smaller things, but, you know, should we, should we confront him? But we're Christians, so we don't really do confronting. So what do we do? You know, that one of our, one of our pieces of cutlery has gone missing. Anyway, they decided to do what we normally do and just ignore it and carry on regardless. So they carry on going to the church. And about a year later, they decide to invite the pastor back and they said, you know, a lovely time and enjoyed it. And all the, all the time, the wife was going to say something. The husband kept digging, saying, don't say anything, don't bring it up. Um, and eventually she couldn't restrain it anymore. And the, the wife said to the pastor, you came for, for lunch last year. And you, we noticed that one of our pieces of cutlery had been stolen. Why did you steal it? He said, I didn't steal it. I put it in your Bible on the coffee table. I think this is one of those sermons that uh, could do could do one of two things, and we'll probably do neither. Um, one of them, it could just bring shame. Um, and let's 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 all put on a level table now. Who here knows deep down they probably should read their Bible more? Wonderful. Okay, who here thinks they read their Bible enough? Yeah. See, that was really interesting. There were a few of you going, and there were a few of you doing this as well. <laughs> so what it, what it will do is a sermon like this, it has the high potential of bringing shame or producing pride. And I don't want either of those. None of those has a place um, with us this morning. So we, uh, last week, Seb... Okay, so this is what Seb talked on last week. Brilliant sermon, if you didn't hear it. Go back, listen to it. I know that small groups have been talking about this throughout the week. And then this week, we're going to go to this, and we're looking at vision and values. And really, as we're, we're sort of form, formalizing what it is we already believe, and then to hopefully taking us all deeper on this journey of what it means as a family, 
gathered together as a church. So we're looking at being devoted uh, devoted worshippers, and we're looking at, as a church, how we are submitted to Scripture. And I want to say right off the bat, this is why I read Scripture. We can talk about it, we can discuss it, maybe you've got your reason, but this is the reason I, I read Scripture, simply for the purpose of getting to know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for going deeper into my relationship with him. This is why I turn to the Scriptures. And these are, this, one of my values, I just want to state up front, is that as a church, we're going to submit to Scripture over and against culture, and tradition. And that is already going to put us at odds with the prevailing winds that are happening outside. Yeah? There's so many issues that are happening out there that are normalized in our culture that are just contrary to what God has spoken in his word. And we're going to go for this over and against church tradition and over against what culture would fire against us. And just want to put this out as well. And like I say, this isn't to produce shame. This isn't produce any guilt. But the, the daily habit of not only just reading it, but meditating on it, memorizing and praying through the Bible, the scriptures, is the top of the mountain when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Just want to state that right up. We're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got your electronic uh, gadgets, you might want to open to John chapter 4. Very well-known passage for those that have been in church for a decade plus. And we're going to be looking at this and focusing on just a couple of verses later on. So Jesus left Judea, so he's been in Jerusalem with the disciples. Um, The disciples have been baptizing, and this has upset the Pharisees and those And they decide to go to Galilee. Now, this is a journey from south to north, and there were three routes. You could go the direct route, which took you through Samaria. You could go to the west, which was out towards the coast, which was the longest route. Or you could go the normal route. If you were heading up to Galilee, you'd go east, across over the Jordan. You'd follow the Jordan Valley, and then you'd head back into Galilee. But the verse in verse 4 says... Now, he had to go through Samaria. He didn't. But when you see it in Scripture, something like saying he had to go through, you need to ask yourself, why is it saying that? What's the point? What's he getting at? And maybe we'll find out what the had to was. Now, the Samaritans, as you may know, they were pretty despised by the Jews, both from Galilee and in in Jerusalem. They were a despised crowd. And not going to go too deeply into the history of this, but the Israel and Judah had separated, had different kingdoms. The northern kingdom had been, well, they both had been um, attacked by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but the Assyrians stayed and the Samaritans had intermarried with the Assyrians. And so they were a mixed race. And so the Jews took issue to this at the time. But what what they did in assimilating the Assyrians and in marrying with them, is they'd kept some of the scriptures. They'd actually kept the first five books of the Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch, and they they had those books. And that was what they based 
their faith on. And they had decided that Mount Gerizim, which was a key place in the history and the formation of Israel through the centuries, was the place where you worshipped. But in these first five books, there was no real concept of a re- sort of a relational God. It was really the laws, the rules of how you operated under the rule and reign of God. And because of that, there wasn't really much talk of the spiritual realm, a little bit like the Sadducees in Jerusalem, that actually these are the laws, you stick to the laws, that's how you have a relationship with God. And unfortunately, that's permeated throughout the church, isn't it? If you do good, God will love you. Yeah, if you do the right thing, then you'll, then you'll be blessed. If you, if you behave in this way, then you're welcomed. Still permeated through. And it it's basically comes from a misunderstanding of Scripture. That's never what God said. In fact, we were created solely for the purpose of relationship. To know and be known. And that, yet they had this odd thing, even from the Pentateuch, even from the Torah, this waiting for Messiah. Now that had probably come through in other ways. So Jesus travels down the hill from Jerusalem and he's heading towards Samaria. It's about a 40 mile journey to where he's got. So he's probably stayed overnight somewhere. But it says that he arrived there. Now we've definitely gone. Um, It said that he arrived at this well Jacob's well, famous patriarch, at his well, and he was tired. It had been a 40-mile journey. It was the heat of the day. It was the middle of the day. Disciples had already gone off into town to get food. But Jesus decides to go on his own and sit by this well. And uh, as he sat there waiting, in my mind, I see him watching this woman walk up the dusty path to the well. It's the middle of the day, so not the time you would normally go and gather water. You'd normally do it in the cool, either the morning or the evening. And very rarely would a woman go on her own. They would often go together. All the kids would, get, would go together to gather water. And my guess is that Jesus is watching this woman. And as he's watching her, he's saying, Father, what's this about? What's her story? What's happening with this woman? Why is she coming at midday? Why is she on her own? And they have this conversation. And Jesus asks her for water and she is so confused. One, she she realized quite quickly he's a Jew and Jews don't speak to Samaritans and they certainly don't speak to a woman. But Jesus breaks protocol and he asks her for water. And she's confused and the, and the conversation gets a, a little bit complex where she then says, well, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water? Why are you asking me? And then Jesus turns it to talking about spiritual water and living water. So you can go away and read this, this chapter a little bit later. Also as well, always couple that with John chapter 7 as well. And there's this spiritual conversation. So it goes from the practical to the spiritual. And then Jesus then says, and then she says, give me this living water. And he says, that's fine. Go and ask your husband. 
classic Jesus. She replies, I don't have a husband. And this is where the prophetic is in operation. Jesus, in this conversation, that just seems like a casual conversation, he's asking, Holy Spirit, what's happening? The Holy Spirit has revealed to Jesus that this woman has had five husbands. That the, the man she's now with, the sixth one, is not even her husband. And Jesus says this to her, no, you're absolutely right. And immediately she's put on the back foot. I can see you're a prophet. So she then turns it to a spiritual conversation yet again. She's shocked by the word of knowledge, taken back. Clearly, she's with an anointed person. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, so she's gone back to this divide. Hang on a minute. Is he getting a bit too close? Is this prophetic word hitting the nail on the head? What do I, what do, I do? Jesus responds, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Sounds harsh, right? Yeah? Remember, Jesus is perfect love. So if there's a harshness coming across, it's out of love. But he's, he's actually making it absolutely clear. Worship. Yet a time is coming and has now come. In Jesus has now come. The kingdom is here, has now come. The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Numa Alethea, in spirit, in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. That should stop us in our tracks straight away. The Father is looking for worshippers. He's seeking worshippers. Ever thought of that? All through scripture, we're told to seek God, aren't we? And we come together to worship, to seek him. This morning, the Lord was looking for worshippers. Go back and listen to Seb's talk last week. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father sees. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. Time is coming and has now come when the worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. So here she is, stood before the seventh man, all the way through John, the number seven. Now in Jesus, this revelation comes. You must worship because this is what Father's looking for, spirit and in truth. And all through John, and actually all the way through all of the, all of the chapters, you get water, you get spirit. Through scripture, water and spirit. You get this understanding. And what Jesus is, well, I've, as I've said it to you over and over again, I'm just not clever enough to prove it most of the time. He's always looking back to what the scriptures have said. Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Hear the language. When I will make a new covenant... 
You, you know the covenants of old, obey my laws, a new covenant when the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put Torah, my law, in their minds and write it on their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. Can you hear the echoes of what Jesus has just said to this woman? Ezekiel 36, the passage before, the dry bones coming to life. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and follow my Lord's. A new covenant, the law written on our heart. A new covenant, a new promise. The spirit will write his rules on our heart. And actually, we've had a week of prayer this week, and there's been a, just a, you know, a committed call that have been praying regularly throughout the week. And this has been one of the messages that has come through over and over again. And we're going to carry on praying at this evening service tonight. But just a removal of a heart of flesh and turn it into a heart filled with his spirit. The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit, by the spirit, in the spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth. And the two go hand in hand. The truth of God and the Holy Spirit. And we need both. We must have both word and spirit. And Jesus goes on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father with me. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. John 14, 15, 16, three passages. Just go and meditate them on this week of what Jesus says. When the Spirit comes, he is the Spirit of truth. And I will ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate, one who comes alongside to help you, the Spirit of truth. John 14, 26, actually, it says that when the Spirit comes, he'll teach you. Yeah? The author of this book is Holy Spirit. The interpreter of this book is Holy Spirit. You can't even consider reading it and understanding without a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We must operate as God intended it, word and spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Sanctify them by your truth. This is Jesus, sometimes called high priestly prayer. I just call it the Lord's Prayer. John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Word and spirit. Word and spirit. And Jesus is comparing this with food and drink. Yeah? Food and drink. Some of us like our food a bit too much. Some of us might like our drink too much. But the healthy response of word and spirit, and Jesus describes it. What happens when Jesus is confronted yeah, by the Satan in the desert? Yeah, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word. Yeah. So his word is like real food. Yeah. The manna, yes, it was a practical provision every day, but throughout the New Testament, manna is referred to as the word of God. We stand on the word of God. We submit to what the Holy Spirit has given us in his word. Yeah. So we need the word. We feed on the word. But the word makes little sense to us 
unless we have the Spirit illuminating it, like the drink. We need that. Nehemiah 9, amazing verse I came across this morning. When Nehemiah, not the story of Nehemiah, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. We need both, don't we? We need food and we need drink. In the spiritual, it's the word and the Holy Spirit. Passage refers to both. Read John 7, all through scripture. And as a generalization, you know, we've experienced this, haven't we? I, I've, I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, an encounter with the Lord, which absolutely turned us around in a 180 direction. And I was just hungry for God. And I ended up, you know, pick a, pick a preacher and I listened to them and I just immersed myself in all the preaching, the old Puritan stuff, some of the really far extreme conservative teaching. But I was also checked out all of the, the wild and wacky prophetic stuff, the, the Holy Spirit stuff. I love it all. But we must have both together. We must have the word of God. But we cannot be close to the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's a bit like this. If it's just the word, if it's just food with no water, with no liquid, you get constipated. And some of us can testify we've been around, you know, people that have read this word for decades and they're the most miserable, mean-spirited people you've ever met because they just have got this and you get beaten up. You feel beaten up by them, by the word of God, the word, the word. There's this constant complaining. There's this constant negative and there's this constant comparing about people that are just word and they're very quick to put others down. They're very quick to compare others. Yeah, you only need to look on YouTube. You know, some of these famous pastors, and it all seems like all they do is put others down. They put brothers and sisters down. They may not agree with their theology. They may not sit, you know, in camp with them. None of us here agree 100% on everything, but we have to agree on essentials. But you watch these, you know, godly people, and they're quite quick to bring disunity and to put others down. And generally, they're on the conservative camp. We can't choose. We need both. And even those, even the really conservative that, that, that shy away from Holy Spirit activity, they're actually picking and choosing scriptures. They're, they're completely ignoring. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecy. Yeah? You read even just through Corinthians and this whole point of how the Spirit should work and operate. And yet on the conservative side of things, they're quite happy to ignore Scripture and even go you know, extra biblical on their things. But like I said, we're meant to eagerly desire all that God has for us. We need his gifts, but operating in the right way. So they're scripturally mandated that we don't quench the spirit. You cannot have an understanding of the book of Acts and even the church going through the centuries without an understanding the spirit is at work through people, releasing us to be who we're meant to be. 
But like I say, I've been around some of the, you know, I've been to those meetings where, you know, they're just happy to, you know, sing in tongues all evening and it's, you know, and just the most crazy things happen and you feel like you've come away and you're like, what on earth was that about? There was no, it felt like there was no substance to it. So whatever the opposite of constipated is, that was that. <laughs> There's a warning all through the New Testament to just t- chase after experiences, just chase after feelings. As long as I felt good. Oh, I didn't church feel good this morning. There's only one we chase after, and his name's Jesus. We pursue him with everything we've got, and he's given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to do it. And I want all of it, and I want more of it. Word and spirit, truth and revelation, they go hand in hand. Just read Ephesians. Just spend this week in Ephesians after you spent this week in John 14, 15, 16, after you spent, anyway, you know, just spend time seeking him. And I don't think it's just a male-female thing, though, of course, that can fall into that camp. We are not to quench the spirit, and we are definitely not to operate outside of this, his word. As you read moment by moment, Holy Spirit, you've got to teach me your word. You know, I've had it over the years for decades. How do I read the Bible? I find the right Bible boring. When the Holy Spirit sets the word alight, it's not boring. It's alive and active and it'll transform not only you, but those you're around. So just open, open scripture and ask Holy Spirit to come and set it on fire in your life. It may not happen tomorrow, but it will happen. The Lord will speak to you as you invite his Holy Spirit to have his way in you. Word and spirit. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind the Father seeks. The Samaritans had no concept of the Father. Yeah. First five, five books of Scripture, there's hints of God as Father. There's a couple of times the Scriptures call Israel God's Son, but there's no real intimacy, and they didn't have it. And now Jesus says, time is here. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with our Lord and Saviour, King Jesus. And it comes through his word and it comes through the spirit. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, so in our, in our prayer uh, meeting yesterday in the cabin, just had a sense of this, and this will be familiar to many of you. It's it often gets some profile and then it kind of goes quiet again. But it was a word that uh, Smith Wigglesworth gave in 1947. And uh, if you don't know who Smith Wigglesworth is, uh, an amazing preacher, evangelist, and had a, a kind of documented um, healing ministry as well. In fact, I'd really recommend a biography on Smith called, uh, by Julian Wilson, which I read on Honeymoon 18 years ago. And... Uh, it is very, very good. Um, but he gave this word, and it ties in. I just shared it yesterday, and then Dave said, oh, that's funny. I'm talking about this tomorrow. So 
hence sharing it now. It says this, During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by the restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving the historic churches, planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is a great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence in the churches of something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. When the word and spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nations and indeed the world have ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that would eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over from the United Kingdom to mainland Europe, and from there will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. When the Word and Spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nations and indeed the world have ever seen. And before we go back into worship, I think there's just a moment here for us to respond to what Dave's brought to us this morning. And uh, as he asked at the beginning, for some of us, uh, maybe we, we don't feel that we, we read the word as much as we should. Maybe some of us feel guilt about that, shame. Maybe some of us are ambivalent or apathetic towards it. I think the first response this morning between you and the Lord is just one of checking your heart and where are you at with the Bible, with regularly, re regularly reading the Word. Um, it seems to me that reading the Word is, as Dave said, as food. And so we should see it in the same way uh, for our own discipleship. So I think that's one way. And the second thing is this. Where are you at with the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit? Where's your heart at with that as well? And are there things, are there areas that we need to submit to him? And once again, we need to invite him to minister into. just want to encourage you tomorrow morning when the when your week starts again and we go back into work or however that looks for you when the alarm goes off a new week will your thought be to invite Jesus into every granular detail of your week by his Holy Spirit will you be asking him to be present on the commute in the office wherever it is that you're going to go to, might that be a way of us welcoming the Spirit's work in our lives?